Hello and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. Come back every second Monday to hear new episodes and subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you get your um, podcasts, or add the show to an RSS reader uh, in order to get the new episodes as soon as they get released. And of course, you can find the archive of all previously released episodes um, at those same places. For more information, details, show notes, and links, you can visit soundofthemoment.com. And if you would like to support me and the show, uh, the best way to do so is to go to iTunes and give it a favorable review or rating. That is very helpful to me to get the algorithms working in my favor. You can follow me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver, and you can also follow Sound of the Moment on Facebook. This episode is number 13 for 9th of April 2018. My guest is the British pianist, keyboard player, and beatmaker Dominic J. Marshall. He has two new albums that we're going to discuss. The first is a beat tape entitled Compassion Fruit, and the second is a trio record called Cave Art Volume 2. We'll begin with a track from Compassion Fruit. This one features guest drummer Jamie Pate, and it is called Respect. B J M D J M Was music from my guest today, Dominic J. Marshall, um, from his new 
Records Compassion Fruit. Uh, Dom, thanks for coming on the show. Anytime. Cool. Um, maybe if we can start with a bit of an introduction. Could you tell people a bit about yourself, your background and stuff? Um, I never know how familiar people are going to be with my guests. So, Sure thing, yeah. Um, I'm from Wiltshire, UK. Yeah. Um, land of the farmers. And uh, yeah, proud to be representing Salisbury, Wiltshire um, out here. <laughs> you know, not not a place which many people would associate with uh, jazz music or hip hop or electronic music. Or, no, that's true. But uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody would associate it with anything much uh, around the cathedral? here. Yeah, no. no, it's true. But. Um, yeah, people associate it with Salisbury steak, which is an American thing. So yeah, you right. Can't, can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> that's not cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's where I'm from. Mm-hmm. I'm gone to music because my dad, obviously a classical pianist, um, he used to play to me and my brother when mm-hmm. we were in the womb. Yeah. Um, he's a fantastic pianist uh introduced me to a lot of great music like Rachmaninoff, Debussy, Ravel, mm-hmm. Prokofiev like he knows his stuff yeah um and he was always playing that kind of thing um when we were just around in the house so yeah music's been in my blood and in my being and coming through my ears since I was very small mm-hmm. um and uh yeah it just became what I wanted to do with my life at a certain point, I guess. Yeah, but so you started with like classical, your dad's a classical uh, musician, yeah. right? Yeah, but he's an improviser too. Like okay. He has an album of improvisations and his own compositions. So hmm. he's um, he's kind of rare in that sense. Like he's a kind of a classical improviser. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, when I was growing up, I didn't, I didn't have these boundaries in my mind between classical jazz and whatever. I just like... I just would see him play. Yeah. You know, my brother played bass. Okay. Drums. He was a singer. So yeah. I was just like, yeah, this is where it's at. <laughs> I cool. think this is what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And um, so uh, this is always a very obvious question to my um, expat guests, but why why the Netherlands? Like what? I guess you, you came here to study, right? Um, yeah. Um, well, we studied together, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had come over from Leeds because um, I was looking for a place to do my postgrad. Uh, got a position in Amsterdam, fell in yeah. love with the city. Mm-hmm. Um, liked the teachers a lot. Yeah, um, we we got on well in the audition. <laughs> they knew the obscure Bill Evans tune which I played. They're like, "Oh yeah, the oh, yeah. person I knew." That's <laughs> yeah, my I think, jam. <laughs> I think Bill Evans is is probably a safe bet for the the Amsterdam Conservatory Piano Department, right? Yeah. Um, it's He's a, good a safe bet with anybody. With well, a, yeah, it's a, true. With a good head on their shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Um, cool. And so, um, and so, yeah, you graduated, and now still, um, like you've you've just moved to the Hague and stuff. You're right. um, no plans for going anywhere else. I guess it's just like, yeah. I mean, I'm very inspired by what's going on in the UK at the moment. Mm-hmm. The music scene there. Um, and I'm back and forth fairly yeah. fairly frequently sure. um, to to do gigs. Um, so, but yeah, no, I've made my home here, and there yeah. are things I really like about the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And um, 
yeah, just never really found like a, a super important reason to move back yet. Right. Yeah. No, fair enough. I think we all have the same experience as far as that's concerned. It's like a, um, as long as the work is good and as long as uh, you know this stuff is happening, why not? I mean, the UK is pretty close anyway. So yeah. Um, so uh, maybe we should talk a bit about um, the. So there's two records coming out. That's kind of a um, obviously busy guy. Um, it's I'm used to interviewing people about one record at the most. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure where we should start. Um, maybe it's good to um, to first talk a bit about the um, the record that just came out, which is Compassion Fruit, which people mm-hmm. have just heard a track from, um, and it's um, for. Consider this is supposedly a jazz slash improvised music show, and um, so I guess this is probably the furthest uh, away from that stylistic idea that um, that I've come in terms of my guests. Um, okay, but um, I don't want to limit it to that because I'm not particularly interested in, in those kinds of limitations. So um, yeah, uh, it's. As far as I can tell, it's like a solo project with um, you're doing everything, you're producing, writing, recording, um, yeah. all the stuff. Um, do you want to, yeah, maybe you can describe it a bit? Uh, yeah. Um, Compassion Fruit basically came about because I was watching a lot of anime and uh, found myself <laughs> a little dissatisfied uh, with some of the theme tunes and, and soundtracks um, to certain things yeah um, i'm very inspired by the visuals of the japanese uh animation and manga styles um and i just yeah i just wanted to make like i was like okay if i was going to make the soundtrack to this Mm -hmm. what would i make yeah so it it didn't originate as a as a jazz project Mm -hmm. it just originated with me in my room uh with my synths and my mpc um just trying to sculpt uh, different atmospheres, yeah, you know, and and the, I mean the the beat making thing has always been a like a part of what you do. Um, you've been releasing yeah. like various things that are like outside of that typical jazz trio, whatever thing that you also do, which we'll talk about later. Um, like, how did that? Obviously, you you you've got a, a super like a really intense relationship with hip hop and and and. Um, and beat music and stuff. Um, what? Yeah, where where did that come from? Like <laughs> a guy from Wiltshire and like all that. Like what's? Um, yeah. Well, when I heard Jay Dilla for the first time, um, I obviously freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I have to give a big shout out to my brother Justin, um, who, um introduced me to so much amazing music um, and such as Jay Dilla, you know, among others, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, showed me how to use GarageBand. Yeah. Um, When I was 18, my dad got me, as a present for my 18th, got me a a Mac. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And um, Justin had some friends who obviously knew how to use GarageBand. Mm. Yeah. up to that point, I didn't know anything like that was even possible. Yeah. But he was like, no, basically, all the instruments are inside this program. Yeah. And you just add tracks and layer <laughs> them on top of each other. Yeah. And I mean, I stayed up all night for about two weeks when he first <laughs> showed me how to use it. Yeah. I just didn't go to bed. I was like, oh my God, this is 
unbelievable. Yeah. yeah I can't yeah. believe this. Just with the crappy MIDI sounds. Yeah, of just, course. You know, I still got those tracks somewhere on my laptop. But was that already like aesthetically, was that already similar to what you like, what we can hear on this project now? Like, I think so. Yeah. It's, so, it's basically just me messing around, layering the ideas in my head. Yeah. And I take it that you also like produce, do you also mix and master your own stuff? Like, is there, um, like, it feels like the, um, like the technical aspect of production, whether it's like sound design on the synths or whether it's like indeed like choices in terms of like make the specific mix choices are very like crucial to this kind of music, which is maybe less yeah. the case in like acoustic jazz. We've got more of a template of what is expected of you in that sense. That's true. Um, yeah. So it, it, like I take it that that's also part of the process, right? It is. Yeah. Although I was helped by the great Ruben Keefton Belt. Oh yeah. Um on Compassion Fruit. Um but yeah, I had I had mixed the tracks to the best of my ability. Okay. Uh and then I took them to Ruben and you know, there there were a couple of tracks where he was like, This is fine, I'm not gonna do anything with this. And then there were other tracks where he was like, Check out this plugin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you wanna go deep? <laughs> you wanna find out about some plugins? Yeah. And uh, you know, so but definitely, yeah. yeah no it, production and composition at a certain point they do become the same thing yeah, when you're making course. electronic music and uh, yeah you, you can compose with with, with, with a knob yeah. on an effects pedal no exactly which is quite interesting like coming from an an instrumentalist that's quite a different approach somehow right like coming from the whole virtuosic like studying piano for hours and hours a day and then coming to, okay, this synth is going to do this and like the, like whatever spatialization and stuff like becomes crucial and like simple things. I mean, how, how has that developed to you? Like, um, those two sides of things, I guess, like, how do you search for that simplicity? Um, man, I guess both of them were kind of on an Island and, uh, now it's giving me a lot of peace to bring them closer together. Um, yeah, I guess coming from where I did, coming from Salisbury, like in some sense, it's the, the you know the middle of nowhere. Um, so yeah, I didn't. I've never kind of proceeded in a uh, stepwise fashion, like in the way which people say you should do things. Like there's normally a certain order which you'd expect people to do things, but I've never. They just never happened that way for me. I seem to always do things backwards or sideways. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I realized, <laughs> oh, this is what I was trying to do. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of how it, how it came about yeah. with the beat stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, this is maybe slightly left of field, but like aesthetically, there's a slightly, um, slightly chip tune thing to mm. it. Um, in my mind, I don't even know if people are, um, people listening to this are even aware of the concept of chip tune. <laughs> which right. is um, inspired by um, basically making music on video game systems uh, using the um, sound chips uh, inside old, whether it's old Nintendo systems or Atari or that kind of stuff. Like there's a whole scene of people that have um, both made stuff strictly on that equipment and then also made currently making music that is integrating a bunch of other things, but also using that aesthetic, which is, fairly simple sound design, simple waveforms and stuff. Um, is that, um, I can imagine that that's a very conscious decision, but where does that come from? Is video game music something you, you've always sort of related to? Yeah. 
yeah, video games played a huge part in my childhood. Um, got me through some times, <laughs> yeah. pretty much, you know. Um, so yeah, and, and uh, you know, there's amazing music. Yeah. Um, in those games, like we think of them as games, but the, if you think about the people who made the first video games, it was a kind of art form. You know, like people were inventing this new medium. Yeah, definitely. And now it's become like uh, all about shooting terrorists and running around, like, you know, just violence, <laughs> basically. But back then it was I don't know. Like, I, I have to say there's still quite a lot of interesting indie video game stuff that doesn't involve shooting terrorists, but... Um, 100%. Yeah. I'm mainly saying that to justify my own not being... <laughs> not playing them anymore. No, but that's probably... Given how busy you are, that's probably also a time issue, right? Um, yeah, no. Yeah. I bought a PlayStation 1... Uh, in the second hand <laughs> shop a couple of weeks back but I haven't really had time to mess with it yet okay but, but yeah. so like the aesthetics of that um, it it seems to me like um, chiptune itself is a is a very specific idea involving um, like limitation yeah um, it's all to do with like on the old literally on the old console systems you had four channels of sound um yeah. Two of them could make a specific type of sound. One of them could make noise, and one of them was like, you know, sample based or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, I feel like that had a huge influence on the way people arranged and people composed in that way. Is that those kinds of like the idea of imposing limitations something that that relates to the way you you write? Definitely, yeah. The limitation is, is where it's at. You know, that's where creativity comes from. The more you limit yourself, the more creative you'll become. I think. Um, and yeah, that's the interesting thing about technology is that it, it becomes so complex, but at the same time, it does force you to be minimal, mm -hmm. you know, because you've got all these options. But then, as you said, the medium then was was four channels. Yeah, you could play any instrument you wanted, any sound. Yeah, but you could only use four channels, so you yeah. had to be really kind of choice, mm -hmm. you know. So yeah. I like embracing that, you know. I'm not the type of person who wants to have like 300 sounds to choose from, and yeah, um, less is more. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that's certainly. Um, and then maybe a, um, a a sort of another slightly technical thing. Uh, this this record came out well, literally on record on vinyl and also on tape. Yeah, um, and I know you've released quite a few. Um, things on tape uh, mm -hmm. over the past few years. What, um, maybe it's really ignorant of me. I feel like that's a specific scene of people that are doing that um, yeah. probably in the scene that you're in, but like, what is the appeal of tape and what, like, where did that come from? It seems like such a unexpected thing somehow. <laughs> yeah. I still love tapes. I still love listening to tapes. Um, I love this sound. There's like a slightly crunchy sound, which a tape has, I don't mm -hmm. know if it's something about like the the real, or but there's something to it to me which CD doesn't have. CD's obviously like a very clean sound. Yeah, I didn't grow up with vinyl, but I did grow up with tapes, and yeah. like some of my earliest musical experiences weren't maybe with composing, but they were with like making tapes. Me and my brother would make tapes for each other. Yeah, um, making mixtapes. You know. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah, I suppose there is that DIY aesthetic to a mixtape, right? The idea of like, I suppose we, before the garage band thing, which obviously for us came in actually when we were quite young still, but there yeah. was still that idea of 
I'm going to listen to the radio and I'm going to press record when that one track I want to yeah. get is going to be on and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess obviously now does not, probably doesn't make any sense to a young generation now, but it's... Uh, um, well, similar to like when sometimes when people make music videos now, they want to have like a VHS look to it. Yeah. They want to have the imperfections um, rather than like a DVD digital camera quality. They want to have that uh, VHS look to it because yeah. it's just something, I don't know, crunchy. <laughs> but something that, alive about it. Is it also somewhat of a retro kind of a... Um, nostalgia uh, thing going on there. I feel like the, the, the videotape aesthetic is a very much a like, um, Hey, eighties and early nineties. Um, we remember this kind of thing. Like, um, yeah. Do you, um, is that something I mean, I feel like I hear like a lot, obviously with the like video game music stuff, it's, that's already the case, but like, is there a lot of that, um, eighties, nineties thing going on in your, um, yeah, and the way you write music, the way you do that kind of stuff. Yeah, probably. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they say that like all your uh, formative influences come when you're up to like 14, right? And then yeah. that's kind of set within you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no getting around the music that you grew up with yeah. and the sounds. But I, yeah, I also think that it was somewhat of a high point Um and I don't think that, for example, like I don't think that streaming music on Spotify uh, sounds anywhere near as good as a vinyl. Yeah. yeah. And there's some, yeah, there's also the retro aspect of like, oh, vinyl, you know, back in the 60s and this and that. But there's yeah. also like the just physical fact that it sounds, the vinyl sounds way better. Yeah. And audio wise. And there's something like ceremonial almost about like yeah. taking a vinyl off the shelf and putting the needle down it. There's a whole like step like a bunch of steps you need to take before, you know, mm-hmm. having that sound coming out. And the, I feel like that also makes you listen in a very different way. And, you yeah. know, you obviously have that huge cover with all the artwork and everything. And um, yeah. yeah, that that makes sense to me. But uh, speaking of which, maybe, um, like I've always felt like there's the artwork to your records has always been something that's been quite fascinating to me because it mm. always seems very elaborate and yeah. Um, like specifically chosen. I feel like so many, um, so many jazz records have historically just been a dude with a saxophone or like, (laughs) you know, um, whatever blue note thought it was supposed to be, which was like a black and white photo or like a vague, um, you know, um, and obviously there's a lot of these, like these classic, uh, records that have gorgeous artwork and stuff, but, um, how much, yeah, I, I guess a lot of thought goes into that, right? Like, how what is your approach to the visual um, side of the way you present the music? Well, I'm I'm really into visual art, so um, I just want to like reflect the album in the best way possible. Um, yeah, I mean the <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but so, where do you get like? Do you actually commission the the stuff to be made, or do you find things out there and then? Um, ask for permission to use them um with compassion fruit inner ocean records work with an artist called eva merlin Mm -hmm. um i sent them a few ideas for art for art um and they came back with uh with the idea to go with Evan. and overnight they sent him that album they said we're gonna send it to Evan and see what he can do um, and overnight, he listened to the album and drew that front cover. Wow! And um, yeah, I mean, I freaked out when I saw it. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. Um, 
obvious question maybe and obvious direction to take the conversation in is um, what this stuff is um, obviously all produced and like solo stuff and things like, is there an opportunity for you to perform any of this music live? And if so, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I do it uh, using the organelle synthesizer, okay. um, which has immense capabilities for, for pretty much anything you want to do because you can program your own modes into it. Mm-hmm. So um, I load up, I, I uh, pick presets, yeah. program presets for each track and put them in there and uh, you know just give the music to my band yeah, and it's been a learning experience for me because uh, when you want to play this type of thing yeah. with a, with a trio, mm-hmm. you write down the music on paper. You're like, this is barely a, even a tune. <laughs> <laughs> this is like four notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you give it to the guys, and they're like, hell yeah, four notes. Yeah, and they smash it. Yeah, yeah. and so like I've, it's been a big learning experience for me actually, like translating that hip hop and electronic stuff into the live thing. Yeah, about how to be simple. Hmm. And um, trusting my bandmates to to take something very simple to to you know space yeah but so are you um, I take it that you play the stuff in trio then bass and drums and and yourself or is it um, um, because obviously you you make everything by yourself and the concept is that it's a solo thing so then like I guess you bring it to a rhythm section right. Yeah, the the concept now with my live shows is because um, I'm I have so many different releases coming out of yeah. two different types of things to have like a kind of melange of everything. So we'll do like a few tracks of um, Triolithic, my last trio album. We'll do like a few tracks of Compassionate Fruit, mm-hmm. a few tracks of Cave Art, yeah. um, like a few Dilla beats, and then like other pieces I write. And it's like yeah. It's kind of like a mix mm-hmm. of everything. Yeah. So you managed to bring together the the all the material, basically. It's quite cool. Yeah. Maybe we should go on to to talking a bit about the trio because that's the other record that we're discussing, and I'm sure there's more stuff to talk about uh, concerning Compassion Fruit, and we might get to it. But um, Cave Art Two is the new trio record that will be coming out soon, twenty uh, first of April, I yeah. think. Yeah. Record Store Day. Yep. Um, do you want to talk a bit about that? I know that's that's with your long-term um, British rhythm section, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, we did um, KVAR Volume 1 back in 2014. Yeah. Um, I reached out to Chris at Paxco Records um, of New York, and uh, he was a fan of um, a few recordings we'd done of Dilla Beats, and he said, you know, it would be great to try to put something like this out and cave art one was very very last minute unscripted type of affair mm. um basically in a room somewhere with a friend of ours and his laptop <laughs> and um a borrowed profit and you know just a few scribbles which yeah. i gave to the guys and from that came an album which like people actually really seemed to like so okay. i was like oh shoot. that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> so i thought you know if we actually put time into this and do it in a proper studio and Mm. like put a bit more attention into it we Mm. can do something amazing so that's the idea behind KVAR 2 so for people who didn't check out the first KVAR sorry uh, it's a a mix of basically like some of my favorite hip hop beats yeah Um, 
just played in a trio. Mm-hmm. Um, so KVAR 2, we got like a Zap and Roger track. Um, we got a track by Solange. We got um, an Obliv track, Jay Dilla. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's quite eclectic. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it's just like tracks I really love and wanted to. Yeah. And it's, them. it's exclusively covers, right? Um, yeah. What was the. What's the impetus there? Like, why. Um, you're obviously quite a composer yourself. Yeah. Um, is that like the decision to make an album of all covers? Um, was that like, uh, is that also in coordination with the label or was that the concept of the cave art thing? Or like, what is the. Yeah, that was a concept. Right. That was a concept. Um, yeah, I guess like having put out so many of my own compositions, I kind of felt like, okay, I can do this. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> naturally, it's my always my inclination to want to do my own tunes. Yeah. Um, but hey, like if people like it, then I don't think it's pandering uh, to say oh, if people like this. No, certainly I'm, not. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna give them some more of it. Yeah. You know. Um, plus, it's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, of course. Um, do you want to maybe talk a bit about your your bandmates in this situation? I know you have um you've worked with those two guys specifically in the UK for a long time, but you also have a different rhythm section when working in the Netherlands. Yeah. And that um that went to a different direction. Like you started out with like the typical upright bass, like piano trio thing, and now there's much more like obviously electronics, but also electric bass and like a, a slightly yeah. different approach. So do you want to talk about how that came about? Yeah. I've been talking about this a lot recently and reflecting on like having to make uncomfortable changes, changes which at the time felt like, oh, can I do this? Mm-hmm. Like, can I call my double bassist and tell him, dude, I love you. Mm-hmm. I love your playing but the music I'm writing now needs electric bass. Yeah. Like, how do I tell that to my friend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then how do I like buy a synth and figure out where to put it on the piano and figure <laughs> out like how to even use it in my live show and where to use it. Yeah. And then more recently adding singing to the show. Yeah. How do I figure out like how to sing <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like how to remember lyrics and all this yeah. different, you know, so yeah, I think what was it? 2000 2014 15 mm-hmm. I switched to electric bass and then 2016 I switched I added the synth and yeah. then this year I started adding vocals. Yeah. So, yeah, a couple couple more years and I'll be playing the Japanese koto. Yeah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but so what um we can come back to all of that stuff, but what um the very noticeable new thing, I guess, is the vocals. What was the, um, what was the idea behind that, and what, like, why? Um, there's like a couple of um, moments of, of vocals that you can hear on Compassion Fruit. Yeah. Um, but um, it feels almost like um, amongst all of the different layers, it's just an extra layer. Like, it's not like yeah. you suddenly have got like a. A lyrical moment of like standing yeah. in front and and crooning or whatever, no. um, but uh, which would be would be amusing coming from you. But yeah. what? Um, yeah, why why sing? Why would you choose to do that? I suppose. Um, I was just working on tracks at home, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I've always loved singing. Like in my teens, I used to I used to sing a lot. Um, 
I got fired from my paper round when I was a teenager because I used to sing along. I had this <laughs> coming back to mixtapes. I made a mixtape of Stevie Wonder tracks. Okay, the definitive collection. Yeah, and I would sing along. Yeah, all around my paper round, and they were like, um, "We've had some complaints. You, you've been waking people up." <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I used to sing in my room, but it was all like it was never something I was really confident enough to do. I don't know why. I, my brother was a singer, yeah. and, I, and I was like, "Yeah, that's what he does." Mm-hmm. And piano was like, I don't know. But yeah, so come, come back to my bedroom, working on tracks. I would sing into my phone. Yeah. Um, and then Android file transfer the recording into logic mm-hmm. and then like put it under the track and I was just like oh, I want to see how this sounds yeah and uh, it was so fun just mm-hmm. to write lyrics and I don't know I've lost a lot of sleep over it because it, it <laughs> it's another level of nerves yeah when you're you're using instrument I mean you've done singing yourself you're, you're yeah. using your body as an instrument so oops um yeah yeah, it takes uh, when you don't have an instrument to hide behind. Even though you still have the instrument to hide behind, you're also like, um, yeah, it, it it becomes a different kind of thing, and I suppose a different yeah. connection, like a, like the emotional, physical connection there is is a lot more direct somehow. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure, man. And so you you mentioned lyric writing, um, like that is that has that become a part of like you literally now like songwriting as an approach like are you writing lyrics separately and are you or are you yeah so at the moment we're doing for the live shows we're doing about half and half half songs um and then half instrumentals Mm -hmm. um so yeah no i've been writing uh quite a lot of lyrics i've always been into poetry and writing and um yeah i'm writing a book as well Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's it's all right. Like I have enough words flowing around in my head, and yeah, you know, yeah. I started thinking, like you know, there's a lot of singers who weren't they weren't virtuosic um, on the level of like, uh, let's say, a, a Sarah Vaughan or a Michael Jackson or yeah, yeah, yeah. whoever you want to name, like. Yeah. There are a lot of singers who weren't virtuosic, like Jimi Hendrix, uh, Gil Scott Heron, um, Thundercat. Like uh, yeah. these are people like Bob Dylan. Yeah. Um, it's like it's a raw sound and mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Yeah, um, certainly. Mind sign, like it's it's a different type of sound. It's it's not trying to be like showy. Obviously, it's yeah. more like I need to get these words out and it's rough and ready. Yeah, and I like that. It's beautiful music. Like, yeah, yeah. It seems to me like that's that's very much a theme throughout all of the work. Is like that it's not particularly showy. Like, also, mm. I mean, you are like obviously capable of very virtuosic piano playing, and yet, thank you. Um, on the um, on on cave art, where you might expect, I mean, you know, on compassion through I, fruit, I don't necessarily expect to hear like crazy piano soloing going on because it's it's like a beat tape you know but right um when a piano player puts out a trio record and it occurs to me like is there even one solo on the record no like no right it's just first of all it's all short songs and then it's just it is just presenting the material the way it is and like creating a vibe and stuff um yeah 
is that um I mean, it obviously takes a specific type of like moving away from ego, I suppose, to do that kind of a thing. But mm. um, how much of a conscious decision is that, like moving away from soloing? And also, like in your live shows, what does that look like now? Um, yeah, well, that's a good question. I've always been into the idea of like group improvisation and the solo, which isn't a solo, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like the solo, which is kind of like, was that a solo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those yeah, are the yeah. best solos, man. Yeah, when you're yeah. just like, what was that? You don't, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, I've heard that they teach in classical composition, the best compositions should sound improvised. Yeah. So I, I also think that the best improvisations should sound like they're just part of the tune. Mm. And that's when you listen to like the early jazz people like Fats Waller, mm. Earl Hines, Louis Armstrong, um, Nat King Cole, they're not shredding, like, you know? Yeah. It's not egotistical. It's, it's all just like, it's a celebration of the tune. It's like, this tune is so amazing. Have you guys heard? It's like, it's an excitement about the tune, which just like wells up. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah. Yeah. I I suppose it it almost harkens back to a pre bebop time. Like if you, Mm -hmm. you just brought up Armstrong. I mean, I feel like, Armstrong comes from obviously the New Orleans thing and the New Orleans thing was always basically, Hey, we're playing a tune and then, you know, there's a trumpet player, a trombone player and a clarinet player. And we're going to fuck around a bit with the melody, but, and maybe one of us is going to play in the background, but it's always just, you know, the song is just there basically. Right. Um, And it's funny that we, we would come back to that now. I feel like it's becoming more and more common, like that people will um, like approach things. I don't know. Like if you listen to, uh, say I don't know. Like I, w- I saw Donny McCaslin's band play uh, not so long ago, and that has very much that vibe of, you know. I mean, obviously they all played with Bowie, so there's probably like that, that mm. thing going on. But yeah. they're basically just like playing a groove forever, and there's some soloing and stuff. But it's not, it's not about that. Um, right, right. No, it's cool, and um, definitely. What? Um, I mean, we we discussed the fact that it's all covers, but what, like, how how specifically did you pick them? Like, is it? It's I guess it's just a collection of stuff that you like and stuff. But yeah, I mean, um, I've been building up a play playlist on iTunes over the past however many years of okay. tracks which I practice. Yeah, basically, hmm. and um, obviously, when I was at jazz school, um, I, I had to practice. Uh, jazz standards. Yeah. Um, but when I'd come home in the evening, I'd, I'd, uh, my way to unwind would be like, play along with Jay Diller beats mm. and to play all this other stuff. And I was like, this is the shit. Yeah. And that's been a theme for me. Like the, the music which I do to unwind will, over the course of months and years, will gradually become the music actually which I'm working on. Yeah. And then I realized like, oh, this is where it's at. The other yeah. stuff I was doing to please someone else, mm-hmm. but this is actually what I love. So, I mean, if I want to make people happy with my music, if I want to heal people with my music, I can't be doing something which isn't me. Yeah, I have to do something which I love and which is truly authentically myself. So I pick tunes which I just love the shit out of those yeah. tunes and love to listen to them. Yeah, You know, we could put them on right now and have <laughs> a great time. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, 
and I mean, ad- additionally, like it's all R and B and hip hop classics. And then there's one, and we've talked about the video game music before, but there's one yeah. track that jumps out, which is that you play a, a theme from Legend of Zelda. Um, what, like, what? How did you choose that specific? It's also quite an obscure. Like, what? It's yeah. not the most obvious. You know, like everybody knows the. Well, not everybody, but everybody from a certain generation knows a lot of the Zelda soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, and um yeah that that's it's an interesting choice like what brought you to that to add that to the mix somehow um just listening back to it and just being like wow this is it's kind of gangster like if you watch <laughs> the, the segment from Zelda Wind Waker i yeah. think you like you just open a chest and like some little elf comes up and he's like i have magical powers yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but the music which plays like do, 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 do. I was like, man, that sounds like that actually sounds like Dilla. Yeah, it could just be a fat, like super fat thing, and yeah, and indeed it is. I mean, the way you play it, um, it it Thanks, takes on man. that quality. Um, it's very cool. Um, so um, another thing, and this is very um, very unartistic, I suppose, of a topic, but you seem to multiply the different labels that you work with and release stuff on. Mm. Um, is that um, just the nature of making a bunch of different types of music or is it that you're sending stuff out to a lot of people or are some of these labels approaching you to do stuff? Like how does that come about? I feel like every single record you've released has been a somewhat of a different relationship with a different group of people and a different like... Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm always searching... <laughs> for yeah. for uh for the right fit i guess and um i mean i also haven't got the vibe from from all labels that it's like you know dominic when are you gonna i, I have I, people have asked me like when are you gonna put something new out but yeah. it's but like it's also what labels do yeah they want to feature all these different artists mm-hmm. and i want to feature all different labels <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer um okay oh. but um no that's that's that, uh, fair enough um i don't know what i necessarily expected you to answer to that um but it's i, I guess what maybe the i'm not monogamous with with record labels no so quite that way. that's yeah but um just the whole concept of a record label is already interesting like why um given how like do it yourself the um the approach that you have to writing producing your music you know you're literally making a record in your bedroom as far as i can tell right um like is self-release not something that you considered like or is it you just make the music and let somebody else deal with well i did self-release my first album the oneness yeah um and i've self-released quite a few beat tapes on Bandcamp. so okay. i have been down that route as well yeah and my experience was uh not as many people listened to it mm-hmm. when i self-released it yeah uh, whereas you know when i had a label on side it's like yeah i'm just not that good at like building up hype around my music yeah because generally once i make it i'm like ah that was all right but then i'm on to a new thing yeah of course so um yeah i guess that's to me that's kind of the purpose of labels like um they like curate yeah and i suppose like in indeed you're right there is a there's always a sense of 
you're most we are as musicians are most excited about the music when we're making it yeah and then a label is most excited about the music when they're selling it yeah. so like it's probably best to have the excited energy of a label behind it um exactly what you if said you, if you can get that i suppose um uh maybe um a short detour but um you have done a bunch of stuff as a sideman um over the years and one of the most um probably most prominent and recent things that you've been up to was playing with the cinematic orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did that come about? I mean, they're obviously quite, um, they've obviously got quite a big presence and stuff and they tour all over the place. And, and I suppose you toured along with them. Um, what, what was that experience like and how did it come about? Um, it came about, uh, through my friend, Sam Vickery, uh, yeah. who I've been working with for a long time. Um, yeah. Who plays bass on k yeah, Two? He plays bass on k Two, yeah. And, uh, he joined, cinematic uh i'm gonna misquote the year probably so i'll just say a while back like <laughs> yeah, a few okay. years back yeah and yeah. um you know we were just driving to the gig like yeah someone's like with you guys like oh yeah you know I, you know this and that i just moved house blah 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 I was like yeah i just started playing with cinematic orchestra and we were like wait what <laughs> <laughs> you did what yeah and uh so yeah we were just like hearing all his stories mm-hmm and then at a certain point, one of his stories was they're looking for a new keys player. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, to Sam's credit and to my good fortune, he, he put me forward yeah. and recommended me. And, um, yeah, it was a long time where I didn't hear anything from them. And I okay. was like, oh, they're probably not interested. Yeah. Um, and then I eventually did hear from them. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we did... Uh, Started off um, touring, touring in November 2015, yeah, and it was very much in at the deep end because mm-hmm. um, we we hadn't played together before. So yeah. we arrived the day before a show in Barcelona mm-hmm. um, to rehearse, you know, meet everyone, yeah. and uh, yeah, lost some sleep, had <laughs> some great hairs, but like, no, nah, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great experience to make music with them. I, I wish we can play uh, more often yeah. in the near future. Mm-hmm. And how much of that has now like filtered into your own uh, music? I imagine that making, like, performing on that kind of a scale and those kinds of stages and stuff, like, brings a different, um, probably a different understanding of, in general, the concept of pop music, right? Right. Um, yeah, for sure. For sure, man. Yeah, I mean, playing at Glastonbury was a was a big uh, was a big one for me. Yeah, it's a bit of a bucket list thing, right? It is. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd already been to Glastonbury because I did bacon sandwiches there when I was a teenager. So <laughs> I was like, Glastonbury's not all that. Yeah, right. Fair enough. <laughs> no, 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 that's a joke. It was, it was crazy, obviously. Yeah. Um, but to see like uh, the level of attention that the singers got compared to the instrumentalists. Yeah. Um, just, just like a, it's a wake up, you know. It's like where the where the average everyday listener is, yeah, um, compared to where the musician is. Like mm-hmm. we think about it in a different way, and uh, the the average everyday listener likes to have a face and a voice and and a human element, yeah. which I think is fair enough. Yeah. Um. So at that at that point, playing at Glastonbury uh, last year. Mm-hmm. I decided like, okay, it's it's really time for me to get, get this singing up together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's cool. So the, like a direct correlation there, I suppose. Um, yeah. 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 
Um, is there any other, like, um, that's obviously the most obvious one, but is there any other stuff you've been up to as a sideman that you want to mention or, or anything that's coming up or? I'm trying to think. Um, well, I'm going to be recording with, uh, my good friend Lars Dietrich. Oh yeah. Um, who's programmed, uh, an avatar yeah. and, uh, made his own synth drum machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, he's looking to, uh, I mean, I don't want to give away too much yeah. cause it's his project, but, um, there's been a lot of very exciting videos going around yes. lately of last. I hope I can get him on the show at some point to talk about it. Um, of course you can. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I know. I mean, obviously he'll, he'll be around. He's, uh, he's just locked himself up with a bunch of computers and, and, yeah. and wires and stuff. And it, it looks very exciting to me, um, all the coding and all the stuff. So, but that's cool. So yeah. you're, you're going to be hopefully participating in that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm going to be uh, recording with him on a couple of tracks. Yeah. So yeah, definitely pumped up for that. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Other than that, my main focus is, is yeah. On my own. Yeah. Own solo thing. No, fair enough. I suppose that's that's often the case, right? Band leaders are um, are obviously very busy with leading bands. Yeah, <laughs> um, it takes up a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, it does. yeah. Um, cool. So as we as we reach the end of this conversation, uh, I always like to ask if there's anything that my guest would like to recommend people go out and 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 take a look at. So it, it could be. Obviously, it can be music, but it doesn't have to be music. It could be a movie. It could be, I don't know, an exhibition you've been to, a book, uh, anything. Yeah. Um, well, right now I'm reading Shikasta uh, by Doris Lessing, okay. which is a series of five books. Um, and she's an amazing writer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's written from the perspective of uh, an extraterrestrial race who <laughs> are looking over earth mm-hmm. and kind of almost like fostering yeah um i wouldn't i don't know if i should say us yeah. but there are like these various different empires in space yeah. um who kind of have interests on earth mm-hmm. which in the book is called shikasta um and they bring species from different planets and they do experiments and they're trying to um yeah, breed evolved races of primates. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's it's next level, man. Right. Shikasta. Um, and she, it's pretty amazing. Like, you know, she adds a very spiritual element to it mm-hmm. um, where there's there's this race, there's the cana, there's a race of canopus who, who are very non-judgmental and uh, they don't want to interrupt uh, what's happening. They, they always want to let nature take its course. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how I, how I try to live my life. Um, just try to let things happen and, um, you know, it's kind of like that Taoist principle of like, let nature do its thing and just enjoy the ride. Yeah. Cool. Um, but just before we conclude, because you you mentioned it in passing, but I feel like I, I should put my finger on it. You mentioned that you're writing a book. Um, yeah. What what's the story there? Oh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously only if you want to talk about it. Yeah, it's just, it, it's it's a novel. Okay. Yeah. Um it's about a guy called Euripides. Mm-hmm. Um who helps out two boys in his village who's who their their mum got gets arrested mm-hmm. um for prostitution and she asks Euripides to to take care of these two boys. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're going to be sent to a foster family and she yeah. doesn't trust what will happen to them. 
And, okay. um, and he goes on this adventure trying mm. to protect them. Right. Um, yeah, I'm about probably about 10,000 words in. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know if I have what it takes to see it to a hundred thousand because yeah. like novels actually yeah, a lot of much, words. Yeah, right. Yeah. Of course, yeah. But yeah, whenever I have time, I'm yeah. I'm slowly chipping away at it. Cool. And what was the like? Where where did the inspiration come to do that? It's like quite left of field, I suppose. I always had this thing when I was in school, mm-hmm. um, in English class, where I was like. I, re- I always was hoping that the teacher would be like, and today we're going to write a story. Okay. Every day in English, I would like yeah. dream that she might say that. And when I was younger, I did want to be an author. Okay. So I was like, may as well write a yeah. book. No, fair enough. And I guess nowadays, similarly to um, being able to release our own music on tapes and stuff, you can basically just put things directly out on the into the internet and you know, self-publish and all that stuff. So yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Well, I, I look forward to, um, eventually reading that if and, <laughs> no, if and when it gets uh, to its conclusion. Hey, if you're looking forward to it, then, uh, then I might just finish it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Dom, uh, thanks again. And, uh, if you've got anything else that you want to come and talk about in the future, hopefully we'll have you back. Yeah, no, thanks Pat. You're a G <laughs> for, for doing this podcast and much respect, you know? Cool, man. That was Dominic J. Marshall. I'll be playing a track from his new trio record, Cave Art Volume 2, in just a moment. If you go to soundofthemoment.com, you'll find show notes and links to Dom's website, uh, where you can buy all of his many records from his many projects, and find details about his upcoming tour dates. I would like to thank my fellow members of Catrio, as always, for providing intro and outro music. I appreciate any feedback that you may have so please don't hesitate to contact me you can do that on twitter at pat cleaver you can also do it via the facebook page for sound of the moment and of course you can just email me directly at pat at soundofthemoment.com if you feel like doing so please add the show to your rss reader or subscribe in itunes stitcher podbean wherever you like to get your podcasts And while you are there, please give the show a favorable review or rating. That really does help a lot. And as usual, if you know anybody who you suspect might enjoy listening to this kind of a show, these kinds of conversations, then please do let them know. Word of mouth is a very helpful way to spread the news about this show. As promised, we'll end with some music from Cave Art Volume 2, which is Dominic J. Marshall's latest trio record. This is a cover of an MF Doom tune called Conqueso. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment.